Welcome to the Arthroscopy Association's Arthroscopy Journal podcast. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Arthroscopy Association or the Arthroscopy Journal. Welcome everyone, I'm Dr. Justin Arner from the Stedman Clinic and Stedman Philippon Research Institute in Vail, Colorado. Today I have the distinct privilege of speaking with one of my mentors and someone who needs no introduction, Dr. Mark Philippon, hip surgeon, fellowship director, and managing partner at the Stedman Clinic and chief medical officer of the Stedman Philippon Research Institute in Vail, Colorado. Dr. Philippon was the author of the paper entitled Predicting Severe Cartilage Damage in the Hip, a model using patient-specific data from 2,396 hip arthroscopies, which is published in the July 2019 issue of the Arthroscopy Journal. Welcome, Dr. Philippon, and thank you for joining me. Well, thank you, Justin, for uh, putting this together. I'm honored to be part of this podcast. And uh, again, uh, thank you very much for uh, ask, asking me to be part of it. Great. Thank you. <clears throat> Let's get right to it. What was your inspiration behind evaluating almost 2,500 patients to create this incredible cartilage predictive model? Well, um, you're right. This is a uh, unique and uh, powerful study evaluating the uh, cartilage damage on the acetabulum and femoral head in young and active FI patient without arthritis on x-ray. And really the idea came from notes we're taking on all our patients. And the specific numbers I've used for many years, uh, going back to when I was in Pittsburgh actually, uh, I like to have certain measurements in front of me when I do the surgery. And a couple of years ago, I had a very uh, a smart young man, a fellow from Japan. His name was Dr. Ajimi Uchinomiya, and also known as Jimmy. And he noticed that every single patient, we had that little yellow note uh, with numbers on it, and we had a discussion. He asked me, he said, Dr. Philippon, why are you using this? I said, well, I like to know these measurements so I know what kind of cartilage damage we'll have in the hip um, before we start and just to be prepared. And based on this, uh, we decided to do that study and work on this um, uh, algorithm to predict severe uh, cartilage damage in the hip. Yeah, it's really a unique and powerful study with a, with a whole large number of patients. One thing I found interesting that on arthroscopy, 41% of the hips had severe cartilage damage on the acetabulum, but 11% had severe lesions on the femoral head. Why do you think that is, especially when you excluded tonus two or three patients? Well, that's a good question. Uh, as you know, <clears throat> Most of our hip arthroscopies involve treating the conflict from uh, femoroacetabular impingement. And as you know, most of our patients have mixed type impingement. And we know that with the mixed type of impingement, especially with the CAM type, the stress really is at the chondrolabral junction. And when you split that chondrolabral junction, there's a carpet delamination that starts at the acetabular chondral surface. And I would say in most of our patients, if not all our patients, 
that junction is disrupted. And in my experience, that's the beginning of the chondral degeneration. It's really start on the acetabular side. And then, of course, eventually, depending on the stage of the patient we treat, the length of their symptoms, we'll see reciprocal changes on the femoral head. Now, as you know, we don't treat a lot of dysplastic patients because we refer them for PAO or we do combined procedure. Uh, but the borderline dysplastic patient, we feel the mechanism of coronal damage is a little different. So in our practice, we treat obviously FAI, borderline dysplastic, traumatic injury. But truly, um, we feel that the damage on the cartilage most of the time start on the acetabular side. And that model uh, proves that. Yeah, it adds up with certainly your findings. I know there's been a few studies that show even 3T MRI has limited sensitivity in identifying chondral lesions of the hip. Why do you think that is, and do you find the femur or the acetabulum are easier to identify cartilage lesions? Well, you know, 3T MRI is a big improvement from the 1.5, but I still feel it's very difficult to see chondral damage on the MRI. I feel it's easier on the acetabular side because I'm used to look at the chondral label junction and in my experience it's been easier to determine precisely the damage to the cartilage on the acetabular side versus the femoral head. Now subchondral edema is helpful also to um, evaluate the cartilage damage that uh, leads us to the location. But I feel when we do our MRI uh, on the hip, the patient is supine. And as you know, the hip joint is very congruent. So if there's no big joint effusion, sometimes it's really difficult to see the displacement of the labrum and therefore seeing that chondral damage because the labrum is being reduced by the femoral head pushing against the acetabulum. That makes sense. Before you started this study, did you have any factors that you thought might predict severe cartilage damage? Yes. Uh, as a matter of fact, I would refer to a paper we wrote uh, with Dr. Johnston a few years back, published in arthroscopy, the Arthroscopy Journal, where we define the hip at risk. And what we found in that paper was that the larger the alpha angle, the more damage we had to the acetabulum. So one of our hypotheses was that the larger the cam, the alpha, more damage we would see on the, on the cartilage. Also, of course, the center edge angle is important, but also the sharp angle. And I, I know that Sir John Charnley used to use the sharp angle for his dysplastic patient as a, probably a, a more predictable indices. Um, for assessing the um, shallowness of the acetabulum. And actually, Dr. John Fagan, God bless him, he, he, um, he recently passed, but Dr. John Fagan's wrote this paper on, on uh, displacing of the hip with Sir John Charlie, and he, he brought to the attention the importance of the Sharps angle. So we felt that Sharps angle would be an important measurement. Also, um, 
the length of the symptoms is important. And also what I find important was that the actual motion at risk, understanding the activity at risk, ice hockey, American football, European football, soccer, baseball, these golfers, these motion are different with subtleties. And I feel that understanding the motion at risk really helps predict the repetition of the conflict and also helps us understand where the chondral stress or damage will be. Yeah, since you brought that up, I was curious also of how you counsel those patients with hips at risk, say for timing-wise, if they want to delay surgery for a more convenient time. I know you mentioned the longer period of uh, symptom onset to surgery could be a risk factor as well. Yeah, that's a very good question. And we look at that, Justin. We, uh, we reviewed 28 NHL hockey players that we treated with uh, arthroscopic hip surgery for FAI. And we published that um, in the peer review literature. And we found in that group of professional hockey players that the longer they had their symptoms, the more chondral damage we saw at the time of surgery. But also, we saw in uh, analyzing the result, we found that these patients took longer to rehab. So the the length of the symptoms we feel is also a predictor of chondral damage. Now just to summarize for the listeners, the findings of your study, the femoral head lesions were associated with lateral center edge angle and tonus angle, while the acetabular lesions were associated with alpha angle, as you mentioned, males and higher BMI, as well as joint space, and both lesions were associated with age. Do you have any thoughts about uh, how you think through these things with uh, factors that affect the acetabulum uh, versus the femoral head and male patients being more susceptible? Yes. Um, yeah, I think it's important to understand that <clears throat> if I have a patient uh, coming in with symptoms who's a young 20-year-old ice hockey player, I will probably be more aggressive as far as intervention, surgical intervention, versus a 17-year-old pincer base impingement who is a ballerina. I think we have more room on these patients to wait with conservative treatment versus these um, young male or female with large cam were involved with sports at risk. So I think the, these factors, borderline dysplastic or dysplastic versus mixed type or large cam impingement, uh, really helps us guide our clinical three uh, decision making as far as intervention. As you know, it's always better to try a, a a trial of conservative therapy, but if you have a patient coming in who's symptomatic for a year, sports at risk, certainly put the hip at risk as far as coronal damage. And from what I've learned, and we've all learned over the years, the more advanced the coronal damage, the more risk 
as uh, we will have to have a good outcome. Fortunately, um, arthritis or con uh, more advanced chondral damage often uh, correlates with uh, suboptimal outcome after a surgical intervention. So would you say then the borderline dysplastic patient with a less risky sport profile, you might be more uh, willing to wait uh, because likely their cartilage injuries maybe aren't as severe? Yeah, borderline dysplastic with a small no cam and their symptoms are coming from the dysplasia, borderline dysplasia. When I talk about borderline dysplasia, I'm, I'm thinking about 20 to 25 degrees of synergy angle. Uh, those patients will be uh, less aggressive, uh, but often, though, unfortunately, <clears throat> these patients have large labrum with detachment, so definitely uh, the labrum is a pain generator, the corneal label junction is a pain generator, but uh, those patients will be probably less aggressive as far as timing of the intervention because we don't have to deal with a large cam in most of them. I noticed in this study you excluded patients less than 16 years old. Uh, will you talk about are you a little less aggressive in those skeletally immature patients if they don't have a big cam, kind of the same procedure? Yeah, I, I really uh, feel that um, during adolescence, uh, when we have skeletal immaturity, there's a lot of uh, physiological changes that are happening. Bone growth, muscular uh, lengthening adjustment from the bone growth, a lot of uh, dynamics. And I feel in that group of patients, 11 to 16, if we can avoid an intervention and wait until they have uh, skeletal maturity, uh, it will lead most of the time with better outcome. Uh, we published also in arthroscopy a few years back looking at a patient in the age group from 11 to 16. And we find in that age group, especially in the female group, uh, a higher rate of revisions due to um, often adhesions as high as uh, close to a little over, over 9% versus males. Uh, so we feel that that age group often, if they don't have the combination of sports at risk and large cam, often we will try to wait for the surgical intervention until they reach skeletal immaturity. Having said that, sometime in some sports, we cannot wait because the labrum is flipped in. We have to repair it. So we have to address the, the pain generator. Uh, so we operate on these patients, but again, we try to exhaust all conservative measures before we intervene. Yeah, the thought about the labrum flipping in is a, another segue to another thought I had was, I know there are some economic analyses like Cunningham's that have shown that exam and x-ray are commonly enough to diagnose FAI. Do you think models like this have the potential to replace preoperative MRI uh, since maybe they're not as accurate for cartilage or what are your thoughts regarding those studies? Well, that's a very good and timely question. The, the reason why uh, we did that model also is we felt that 
by good X-ray measurements, we can predict with high accuracy where the coronal damage will be. Uh, and in, in certain part of the country or part of the world, MRI are not as easily accessible as we have in the U.S. here uh, in specialized clinic. So we felt that having uh, the ability to optimize all the information we can get from x-rays was very important. Maybe, it, for sure, an MRI is very important because uh, we can see more details ab about the bone marrow and periarticular musculature, tendonitis, all that, and uh, joint effusion. But I feel that um, having good x-ray uh, series you can gather a lot of uh, very important information and, and guide your surgical intervention plan very, very uh, precisely. And uh, then, of course, having the luxury of getting MRIs is, especially in 2020, it's easier to get MRIs. But I really think you can get a lot of information from your x-rays. And uh, I wouldn't say it would replace the MRI, but uh, in certain situations, if that's all you have, you, you can have... Uh, a good prediction combination with your with your um, physical exam, a good idea of what you're going to find at the time of surgery, and have uh, be prepared for the uh, intervention. Be better prepared. Do you see a role for three-dimensional imaging, such as 3D CT, or hopefully in the future maybe 3D MRI to better define the cam or pincer lesion or version of the acetabulum or femur? Yes. Um, I really like uh, two-dimensional studies because, as you know, uh, biplanar studies uh, to treat a three-dimensional problem is more challenging. But I feel that in the future we'll have access to 3D MRI, and then that will help us really at, at assess more precisely the conflict, especially understanding the acetabular retroversion or pincer issue in the CAM in combination. I feel it's very important to take into consideration not only the alpha angle but also your acetabular pathology because I see the uh, femoral acetabular impingement syndrome as a couple, couple between the femoral side and the acetabular side. So I think it's important to take both into consideration and certainly the 3D, 3D analysis from CT or MRI is certainly uh, a very um, important adjunct to our pre-op planning. Yeah, 3D MRI would really add a lot, I think, without having to get another scan, and uh, I think we're getting closer. Could you tell us a little bit about how you treat focal cartilage lesions in 2020 and a little bit about microfracture and how you use... Uh, different cartilage procedures in your practice? Yep. You know, most of the time, if we um, deal with a lesion on the acetabular side, which, as we discussed earlier, it's more frequently, uh, if I have carpet delamination versus a wave sign or a um, subchondral delam without a flap, I will advance the labrum do my trim, advance the labrum. But then if we left left with the residual grade four, uh, well, my go-to procedure still is the microfracture. 
And this is work in progress. So now our patient, in addition to having the microfracture protocol, we start to use Lusartan and we're doing a clinical trial with uh, that medication right now, uh, which uh, blocks TGF-beta-1. And um, you might know we, we did an animal study comparing uh, microfracture uh, versus microfracture plus losartan, and we found in the microfracture plus losartan group uh, higher, uh, 92% high in cartilage versus 40% in the microfracture group. Uh, we uh, published uh, that study, and based on that, now we're going to humans clinical trials, and uh, we feel that microfracture with the appropriate rehab protocol on the acetabular side as giving us very good uh, outcome for coronal lesion. We also publish in arthroscopy return to sport in professional athlete for patient with FAI surgery with and without microfracture. And return to sport was the same, but also we look at their statistics and they were the same in the microfracture group and the non-microfracture group for FAI treatment. So we feel that on the acetabular side, it's a very good procedure. On the femoral head side, if we have good shoulders to contain the clot, we also uh, perform microfracture. Now, you're gonna ask me probably about the size of the lesion. If the size is too large on the femoral head size, side, I've looked and I've performed osteoconal plug in the past successfully but most of the time I have to say that what we see in our practice is often traumatic injury for the femoral head as long as the defect subcoronal defect is not too deep microfracture also works really well in the femoral head side but I've also used collagen uh, membrane I've used um, various other techniques um, as well in certain situation, but I still feel the most predictable resu uh, results in my hands are with the microfracture. I think the technique uh, really is important, like you mentioned, with the good shoulders and making sure you perform a microfracture appropriately. And the adjuncts, I think, that you and your team perform with circumduction and the Lusartan, I think, really make a big difference. So I think it, it certainly is dependent on how you do all those techniques. Thank you, Dr. Philippon, for sharing your thoughts with us today. I'd really like to thank you on behalf of all the listeners for being such a giant and pioneer in our field. You've taught us so much about the hip and continue to with your numerous innovations and really high quality research. So thank you for all of that. And thank you for your time today, Dr. Philippon. Thank you, Justin. And um, again, uh, congratulations uh, for your work and uh, creating this podcast. Thank you. Dr. Philippon's article entitled Predicting Severe Cartilage Damage in the Hip, a model using patient-specific data from 2,396 hip arthroscopies, which is published in the July 2019 issue of the Arthroscopy Journal and is available online at www.arthroscopyjournal.org. Thank you for joining us.